Good afternoon, and welcome to Power for the People here on Solar Power, WERU-FM, 99.9 in Bangor, 89.9 in Blue Hill, and everywhere in our solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Collin. The goal of Power for the People, as regular listeners know, is to help Mainers understand what I've been calling lately the increasingly complex energy future. Um, can I even say confusing sometimes? Uh, and therefore, we want to talk about energy policies, about energy technology, solutions in our state and in your life with the goal to help listeners reduce their energy costs. Uh, and oh, by the way, if you reduce your energy costs and, and, or, or reduce your energy use, uh, you reduce your impact on the environment and relative to today's conversation in particular, uh, your impact on the climate. They're kind of one of the both things, I think. So it's a win-win situation. You can reduce costs. Businesses can reduce costs, uh, change the way they do business. And there's all sorts of issues that, uh, frankly, have come up just recently that I think maybe people are starting to, to pay attention to. So my guests today are Jeff Marks, who's the Executive Director of Climate Work Maine, uh, and Alan uh, Karen, who is the founder uh, and president of uh, Climate Work Maine. And uh, we are going to be talking about business issues uh, we'll see, uh, you know, for the, where the opportunities are to talk about things for specific homeowners um, uh, in their own in their own uh, energy lives. But uh, we are going to focus a bit here on business. Uh, for regular listeners, you know that I have done my darndest to focus on energy issues and not the potential uh, confusion, shall we say, or debate over climate change. But I think they're becoming, it's pretty clear that they're very related. So uh, we are doing the, the climate change issue here, and I'm sure we'll be talking about mostly energy issues along the way. So thank you very much to, to Jeff and Alan. Great to be here. Thank and, you, Steve. Uh, and uh, so just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Alan has actually been on the program before, uh, several years ago, when he founded Envision, uh, Envision Maine, which I think this is, uh, the Climate Works is a, is a follow-up to. So we were talking energy issues back then. So thank you for joining us again, Alan. And Jeff and I have known each other for uh, probably a decade when we originally served on the Environmental Technology Review Board of the Maine Technology Institute. Uh, and he's done uh, lots of interesting things uh, since then. Uh, but let me give, uh, starting with you, Jeff, let me give you a chance to introduce yourself a little bit further before we start talking about Climate Works Maine particular. Sure, and thanks, Steve, for having us both on the show today. Um, yeah, I think we did some good work with the Maine Technology Institute. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the environmental tech boards uh, seek out companies that are looking for funding uh, for various uh, research, development, uh, marketing type initiatives. And um, we help through that process by making sure companies get uh, what they need. So that, that was a good experience and uh, glad to work with you on that, Steve. You know, I've spent uh, most of my 25 plus years working with the business community on various energy and climate issues. I, I worked with a trade association out of Washington, D.C., any type of company that you can think of from utilities to chemical companies, to pulp and paper, to renewable energy, to uh, even some oil and gas, working with them on various environmental climate and uh, energy type issues. And uh, went over to a, a large Fortune 50 company that manufactured everything from Blackhawk helicopters to air conditioners, 
to fuel cells and, and helped that company develop its first climate change policy that took into account, you know, the corporation as a whole, but the individual company. So I've I've always had this interest in working with businesses and helping them solve problems when it comes to energy and environmental issues. And when Alan approached me, I believe a couple of years ago, about this concept that he had for a Maine-based organization focused on climate solutions, you know, it, it was right up my alley, something I was interested in doing and considering everything that's going on on climate, not just in Maine, but, but across the world. It was the perfect time for an organization like Climate Work Maine to, to get started. Just over the past weekend, uh, in different areas of the world, in Alaska, in Japan, and Puerto Rico, they're seeing the the impacts of, of climate change with some really blockbuster storms in, in each of those areas. And if there's any constituency out there that can help solve these problems and limit the impacts, it's the business community. And hopefully, uh, between Alan, I, and a, and a great group of advisors that we, we have, we can we can start to to help from a from a main perspective. Well, thank you for that. And uh, I mean, relative to your advisors, I, I looked at the list online, and in fact, I've had four of them on this program as well. So you're, you're tapping the right people. And I don't think you you didn't just mention E2 Tech, but E2 Tech is something that a number of people uh, listening may have been familiar with. And you were the, the executive director, I think, is that correct, of E2 Tech for a period of time? Is that right? Yeah, I, I was actually the first employee of E2 Tech. They had had a part-time consultant for years working with that group, spent five years as the executive director there. Uh, I still serve on the board of directors for that organization. Just a fantastic group that helps to facilitate a lot of these important conversations around energy and environmental issues. Well, you certainly have been involved in, in all sorts of things and, and our uh, our paths keep crossing and, uh, and I'm glad that they do. Uh, Alan, uh, our paths also keep crossing. Uh, you were originally the founder of, of GrowSmart Maine, which is a, a big deal. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about your background before we get uh, into what uh, what Climate Work Maine is in particular. So I've been working for many decades on uh, how to build a more sustainable economy in Maine. And, and you know, way before GrowSmart Maine, I was putting solar pa- panels on apartment buildings in Munjoy Hill in 1982. So, um, uh, you know, I did Grow Smart Maine, which was all about sustainable prosperity. Uh, that evolved, and I went off and did Envision Maine, which is about thinking about the future and how do, how do we manage change. And then uh, this this is really the work that I've been striving to do. This climate work, Maine. Uh, I, and by the way, we <laughs> I at least have decided not to debate whether climate change is real or it's happening, uh, if if you don't know that it's real and you don't know that it's happening, uh, you're not gonna be listening to anybody. So um, we're, we're focused on what people can do uh, and sort of move off that debate of, is it a problem? I just traveled for, uh, in, in Europe this summer, for, I was fortunate enough to have 11 weeks in 13 countries and it is astonishing what was happening across that continent with the heat waves, the the vineyards. Uh, some of them in France hadn't had water for 90 days. Um, the rivers, the Po, the Rhine, 
uh, were drying up so that ships couldn't run in them. Uh, this was this was extraordinary. Of course, all of these things are happening here in the U.S. So uh, we're, we've decided as a group to not spend time with folks who haven't figured it out. We hope you do, uh, but we're not uh, we're not here to debate uh, what should be obvious to anyone who looks at data. Uh, but the purpose uh, that we set out here is to make sure that the business community in Maine is engaged and helping. Everybody's got to do their part, but uh, businesses have own lots of buildings. Uh, last count, about 140,000 in Maine, uh, hundreds of thousands of vehicles. Uh, so the business community really needs to step up and do everything they can. This issue of climate change is, in my opinion, the greatest economic challenge this state has faced in, in centuries. Uh, we've had a lot of change, and we've had to endure a lot of hard change in Maine. Uh, this is going to top it all, and uh, we can either prosper and and be safe uh, by adapting, or we we risk some real trouble. So some people uh, are on top of this, or are leading, uh, are taking the action they need to take. Uh, those folks are going to do okay. The ones that are have their heads in the sand, I'm not so sure that it's going to work well for them. But in any case, uh, we need to mobilize the business community, and we need to help businesses figure out what they can do on a very practical level. We're way beyond speeches uh, and saying nice things and greenwashing. We're, we're way beyond that now. We we need to take practical action and. I'm on my fourth small business, and I know that small businesses in particular don't have a lot of time to figure all this stuff out. So we're here to help them figure it out. Well, that sounds great. And I certainly uh, I, I certainly echo everything you just said. Uh, you know, I, I teach uh, environmental science uh, and have taught uh, climate change, climate science uh, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. um, and in all of my courses, I always work in environmental economics because the the students need to understand that this is not just some esoteric thing going on, and especially the business students that I have in the courses. Uh, and I also teach a course called uh, Towards a Sustainable Society, which is, uh, uh, yes, an environmental course, but it's, it's as much about our environmental economics as anything else. Uh, and so uh, I'm right on board with you. And I, and I do want to say here uh, that in one of my concerns in teaching climate science, and this relates directly to what you just said, uh, not my concern, I mean, everybody's, everybody in the field, is the concept of tipping points. And, you know, are there things that we can, can we can we exceed the ability of the climate to absorb what we're doing to it? And the last 18 months sure looks like maybe we have. And so, uh, you know, one thing that, I'm, that I would be, be thrilled to hear you talk more about, you had a, an op-ed uh, recently where you talked about coronavirus being the, um, I forget the word you used, but the test case for, for climate change. Um, and I think that was, that was exactly right on. I mean, science and the environment basically are the economy. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, would would you like to, to follow up on on your points in that uh, editorial? Yeah, I mean, look at it, it, the, the COVID 
gave us an opportunity to see what we've been doing on climate, which is we spent a lot of time in denial and suspicion and uh, co contradictory uh, science. Uh, and then it became clear that this wasn't a political decision. This was a reality. Uh, now, the other thing that we did is early on on COVID, we thought it was a, a health care and medical problem and didn't spend enough time early on appreciating that it was an economic problem as well. And it wasn't until we integrated health and economics into one conversation, in my opinion, that we began to uh, accelerate into uh, a, re a, a good response. So I, same thing has been happening with climate. We have, we have for a long time thought of it as strictly an environmental issue. And we assign environmental reporters and all the news outlets to cover it. And uh, I think now there's a growing realization that, wait a minute, this, this is more than the environment. Uh, it has huge economic uh, inputs uh, and effects. And we've got, to have a, we've got to have a holistic conversation about climate uh, in which we see it in both ways. So th right. those are the parallels. But we didn't, in the first six months of COVID, we didn't do a very good job as a society in coming to grips with it. And I think we got better over time. And we're doing the same with climate. And there is a, we've reached a tipping point in climate, both on the environmental side, in which things are going to happen now. We can't unravel. They are going to happen. And maybe we can affect things going forward. But, um, you know, so in any case, uh, I think we learned, we were able to learn some things from the COVID experience that we can now apply to the climate question. Right. And one thing we learned <laughs> is that the, the education, the, the science education in the general public is, uh, is woefully inadequate. Uh, I'll just say as an educator myself, uh, and that's been part of the issue where people are, are skeptical of climate change, some people, uh, or skeptical of vaccines. And uh, that is, I'll just say, uh, unfortunate. Yeah. So, uh, so your your big picture uh, statement on your website is that you're a network of business and business leaders taking action on climate change, uh, exactly the right time, and it follows up on everything you just said. Uh, and you use the word uh, challenges and also the word opportunities uh, in terms of creating a more sustainable economy for the future. Um, you know, I think we've talked, we've we've already hit on a little bit of the the uh, the challenges. Uh, let's start talking about some of the opportunities. Mark, uh, Jeff, what are the, what are, what are, what are, how do we approach the opportunity thing and how do we convince people of opportunities? Sure. Thanks, Steve. And, and some of the irony here is when we talk about climate change, arguably the business sector is partly responsible for some of the climate change issues that we have, but they're also probably the, the biggest constituency out there that uh, has the answers and have the techno technological and, and financial and uh, human re resources necessary to come up with the solutions uh, to this as, as an overall issue and uh, possibly even uh, create some opportunity in rural parts of the state and create jobs for uh, for people around the state and around the world and really focus on you know, confronting these challenges with with our own particular expertise. So, 
Um, yes, I, I agree with that. There are challenges. We've talked about some of them as far as the uh, the weather and the environmental challenges of, of climate change, but there, there are opportunities out there. And uh, businesses are starting to see that. They're starting to move toward technologies that um, create better efficiencies in their operations. We have uh, some very intelligent entrepreneurs and startups out there who are building the, the products and offering the services that help to confront this, this issue, uh, not just on a localized um, perspective, but also creating the, uh, the skills necessary to, to export that expertise outside the state and uh, make sure that we can, we can carry over these, these, uh, these solutions and, and make them global rather than just, just localized. So uh, there are opportunities here to save energy, to adapt to, to climate change, to uh, incorporate more renewable energy into the electricity sector, to pursue beneficial electrification of, of our buildings and, and our, our transportation, and do this in a way that uh, is good for the bottom line for businesses, as well as for uh, the checking accounts and uh, of homeowners and, and everyday people. So we uh, we see this as a business focused organization of businesses for businesses. But I think the impact that uh, our members or our potential members will will have on on residents and citizens throughout the state will be will be immeasurable. Yeah, I think that there's a trickle down from what businesses do that can uh, that ultimately can come back and and uh, be a good uh, good thing for uh, everyday consumers as well. So, uh, Jeff, Maine passed a uh, or adopted a, a climate change action plan called Maine Won't Wait in late 2020. How uh, how do you see your organization interfacing with that uh, climate plan in particular? Any specifics would would be great. Well, I think as Alan mentioned before, we're, we're beyond talking about whether climate change is, is an issue and now talking about uh, solutions to that. And I think we're very lucky in, in Maine to now have this climate action plan as a roadmap to, to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions and to, uh, to adapt to the climate changes that are taking place in our rural areas, along our coastlines and in our forests. And uh, it's been, it was the, the Climate Action Plan, it was released in, in December 2020, and it's already making, making a difference in Maine and in, in reducing emissions and um, kind of reducing the cost of, of different technologies and systems for, for homes and, and businesses. And it really lays out a strategy for us to uh, not only improve the environment, but to do it in a way that makes economic sense for, for the state and for the companies and, and homeowners in the state uh, that are following some, some of the, these rules. And I, I think we've, we've mentioned it a, a couple of times, th this focus on, on heat, heat pumps and, and electrification of, of buildings and, and increasing weatherization options for, for homeowners. Uh, as far as insulation and air sealing and, and other improvements that can be made to the home. I, I think uh, this administration has, has made 
this a focus because buildings we're we're, we're still we're still I think around sixty percent or so dependent on heating oil in the state for uh, for our heating needs in, in homes and in uh, some of the some of the work that Efficiency Maine and their contractors and, and vendors have done over the several, last several years to help weatherize homes, uh, help seal them up. And, and to install these heat pump systems, I, I think uh, we've probably led the country in the scale up of electrification that um, other states are looking at us and saying, hey, that's something that we might be able to adopt and the, the type of uh, type of strategy that we might be able to, to follow to, to reduce energy use and, and costs in our in our own homes so i think we we play a leadership role there yeah let's uh, let's follow up on that here in a second but let me just say that you're listening to power for the people here on weru fm 89.9 in blue hill 99.9 in bangor uh, and my guests today are alan karen and jeff marks of climate work uh, maine and we are talking about energy uh, and climate related uh, issues that uh, businesses can do and so uh, relative to what you were just saying, um, Jeff, uh, and either one of you can reply to this, uh, one of my concerns, uh, and I guess this is an education thing, that for either homeowners or for business owners that are currently heating with, with fossil fuels, when their device uh, doing their heating has a problem, logically they call up their their oil or natural gas dealer and that natural gas dealer says hey i've I got an oil boiler for you that's going to be even more efficient when in fact i wish we could somehow set the stage for people to say you know you need to get rid of that darn thing and you need to install renewable energy you know or or a heat pump how do we how do we address the the built-in bias towards continuing fossil fuels well, Steve, this in a way gets back to what we were saying earlier about focusing on people who are ready to move. Focusing like we're focused on those businesses, not the 30% or 50% that question climate, but the 10% that are ready to do something. They can become the role models. They are the action leaders. Um, every time one company changes its fleet to electric vehicles, every time another company changes its heating to heat pumps and shows a saving, other companies will watch and will follow. And that's just the way it goes. So so, our, so that's a big part of our strategy. And by the way, um, there's a lot of debate about how to get businesses to do things. Uh, we, we are very much on the incentive side rather than the regulatory side. There, mm -hmm. there will be regulations no doubt that have to be uh, uh, done to ensure against the real bad guys. But um, the incentives coming out of the Washington, the new Washington bill and the incentives that the state provides are terrific. And not enough people know about them despite all the good work of uh, Efficiency Maine and, and Jeff and many others. Um, but we, we need to get to those folks that are ready to, ready to go, know the world is changing, know that you have to adapt and don't quite know what to do um, and they will inspire others um, so you know and again there's been this debate with, within our group over what businesses need and one group says well they need a comprehensive analysis and you got to spend a bunch of time and 
and measure everything and figure it out all well and good for those companies willing to do that. We tend to be a lot, I tend to be a lot more practical. Like if you want to do something, buy an electric vehicle. If you want to do something, install a heat pump. When you get through those two things, we'll ask us what the third thing is and we'll help you. Uh, but let's not get bogged down in a sort of big bureaucratic approach to things. This is simple. That technology is evolving every single day. It's getting better. It's getting less expensive. We're just a few years away from uh, electric vehicles being the dominant vehicles on the road. Uh, we're just a, we're just half a decade and maybe a decade away from heat pumps and other electric heating and cooling uh, being uh, the dominant uh, heat sources. These things are going to happen whether we like it or not, and we do like it. Um, so that, that that's our approach. Try, try to be, you know, main people are really practical people. Small business people are particularly practical because they have to be. So they want to know what the bottom line is and who they can call. But you're right. We have a the legacy industries are always going to be around for a while because of the problem you just noted. Right. The, the boiler breaks and the boiler guy comes and says, as you said, hey, I got a better boiler. Great. Install it. Um, so this is going to be a process. Do you do you guys have a particular plan, for example, to reach out and try to get oil dealers involved in your organization? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, one of one of the things we're not trying to we don't want anybody to suffer who doesn't need to suffer. When there is a big technological change, some people benefit, others don't. And the ones that don't, we have to pay attention to. What is going to happen to all the mom and pop uh filling stations? Uh what's going to happen to the guys who install and deliver oil and gas? Uh, we we need to care about those people. We need to help with the transition. Uh, they are not the enemy. Um, uh, so we want to be very sensitive and caring about that group of people. Uh, you know, I'm often reminded, uh, I use this analogy, it will seem obscure to people, but about 120 years ago in Maine, we had a dramatic uh, economic change in a big industry, and that was in the ice industry. We had thousands of people working to carve out blocks of ice. We had a shipping industry built on taking that ice to the Caribbean. And we provided captains and crews and wooden ships. Thousands of people worked on that industry. The, the, the Kennebec River was the second most productive river behind the Hudson uh, in America. And in five years, that whole industry went away around 1905 when refrigeration was invented. And a whole bunch of people said, nah, that'll never work. Uh, that, that's just for rich people. Uh, that's a play thing. This is what people used to say about EVs, and some still do. Well, guess what? Those people who didn't adapt and change and plan for the future went out of business. And thousands of people were hurt. Uh, so we have to make sure that as the climate adaptation happens, we have as few people, we, we don't let people get hurt. We help people transition to new jobs. We provide training as a state and as a society. And the federal government's got to help too. Um, because we're going to have the same kind of profound change 
over a longer period of time. So I'm I'm particularly concerned about those guys that are delivering the oil to your house. Uh, if they don't see a way out and a way forward, they will fight change. And that's the last thing we can afford to do. Yeah, and I just want to double down on, on what Alan said. Your question earlier, Steve, are we going to work with oil companies, natural gas companies, and other others? I hope so. I started having these conversations years ago with with uh, uh, with different companies, uh, solar companies who wanted to work with uh, with oil and gas companies because that transition is going to be so important to to get right. We we have so many people, as Alan mentioned, who are who are working in these industries. We need to engage companies to to help transition or, or create job programs that are that are really aimed at making sure that we have good paying sustainable jobs for thousands of mainers who are who are making the transition as, as well as uh, others who are discovering that there are careers in this industry in the energy industry that uh, may have been there before, but will significantly expand with, with everything that's going on in the state, uh, funding that's coming out of Washington. Uh, there's going to be uh, openings and opportunities for, for engineers and for installers of, of energy equipment and uh, service and utility workers who are, who are doing things to modernize the, the grid and, and the small business owners out there that are part of the the new and expanded and enhanced supply chains that are being created in this new industry. But uh, Alan's absolutely right. We need to make sure um, that we're supporting the little guys and gals who are uh, trying to make this transition and make sure that nobody gets gets left behind and that businesses and others help to make sure that the transition is as equitable as possible. All right. So well, I asked the question about reaching out to, to fossil fuel dealers and you go, you guys both touched on that. Um, what about reaching out to contractors and architects? And I, and I have to tell you a story here uh, from, uh, from when I was the sustainability director of, in, uh, of a small campus in my previous job, we reached out to one of the largest architectural firms in Portland. And I'm so, letting that sink in just for a second. Uh, and we said we wanted to build a net zero energy building, a dormitory. And uh, and they came in and did well, just two examples. They proudly laid on the table that they were going to uh, insulate the attic to R37. And I said, are you guys aware that the code has been R49 for a while? And they said, what, it has? They didn't even know, and then they proposed, and they they, they, they proposed well, they proposed uh, fossil fuel heating, and I said, well, what about heat pumps? And they said, heat pumps don't work in Maine, <laughs> and and I said, they're all over the state, and they said they are. How do we deal with that kind of uh, yeah. terrible incent, uh, uh, lack of education in the business themselves? Yeah. Have you have you reached out to architects and contract and uh, contractors? Uh, we've done some of that, and and you know, like every industry, Steve, you you've got people who are forward looking and on the leading edge, and they understand the way the world is evolving, 
and they're working in that space. And then you have others who are comfortable doing it the way they've been doing it all along. That is going to happen. And and again, the, the ones that are on the leading edge are the ones that are going to succeed. Uh, and the ones that don't adapt, don't relearn, uh, don't reinvent themselves, this is true of businesses generally, are going to struggle. Uh, and, you know, here's another industry where we have to be concerned about people, car dealers. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, why is that? They'll always sell cars. Even if we have electric vehicles, they have cars. Here's the thing. If you don't have an electric vehicle, I've got a Ford Mustang, best car I ever had. <laughs> they don't require any maintenance. Right. If you go to a car dealer, maybe half of their uh, income is on maintenance. It's not on selling the car. And if you take that away, um, they're going to have to reinvent the whole industry. Uh, and by the way, we see the early ripples of this already in Maine, where independent auto repair shops, are get uh, you know, the car companies are trying to shut them out of the EV uh, stage by saying that they won't share the information that comes over the computers. That industry, the auto repair industry, is itself under duress and will be with every EV that's sold. So we got to figure out new ways of uh, sustaining car dealers. And we got to make sure that the the guys who are working on cars, guys and women, everybody, even if they're trained in uh, standard gas engines, get the training they need to service electric vehicles and get the data they need because that's the new wrinkle here. Now all the data comes straight from the car to the manufacturer. And if they, if they don't give it to the auto repair guys, or if they insist on your lease that nobody but them can do the work, that kind of monopoly will escalate the prices dramatically. So there's another industry we have to be concerned about. Right. And your point about EVs is so good. I mean, when, when I teach you know, in, in a couple of my courses, we, we talk about environmental, sorry, we talk about electric vehicles and the students at the beginning of the course always go, yeah, you know, they're really expensive and they're different and they're, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to buy an EV for quite a long time. After we get done talking about the fact that, for example, when we did an electric vehicle drive-in a few years at our campus, and uh, in particular, uh, there was one Tesla dealer who had 60 or 70,000 miles on his vehicle. He says, you know, the only maintenance I've spent was on a new set of tires. Uh, you know, your, your exact point. Uh, and when we talk about that in the class, by the end of the class, students are going, hey, maybe maybe an electric vehicle is sooner in my life than, uh, than I'd been thinking. So exactly the right point. People are resistant to change. Business is resistant to change. Uh, but now's the time when we need to change without a doubt. Let, let me ask you about the grid, uh, because uh, something that's been st- kind of stuck in my craw for a while is that uh, the state of Maine, and a lot of people don't realize this, the state of Maine is about, uh, the grid is about 80% renewable. Uh, and uh, despite that, our electric price is pegged to natural gas prices in the Northeast. How and when might we be able to set our own darn price uh, for for electricity rather than the extravagant price that we're paying based on the natural gas uh, price. Any any ideas on that, Jeff? Well, you, prob- you, you've worked you've worked a big picture on this kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah, and you know, I I talked earlier about most of my background has been working with the business community. I did take a, a couple of years and worked with Acadia Center uh, as 
uh, as you mentioned at the outset of this program on various environmental energy climate issues in, in Maine. And uh, we focused a lot on the electricity sector, what, what was needed as far as reforms in that sector, uh, whether it was utility reform or grid modernization or how rate cases are, are structured and, and go forward and how to make sure that there's more accessibility and visibility of how electricity rates are, are set and who is involved in, in, in those types of types of issues. It's not something that we, we're very early as an organization. I think we're at some point going to play some role in, in public policy, probably not to the extent where I'm going to be going to the PUC and uh, delivering testimony on, on specific rate cases or going to Augusta and uh, giving testimony on, on specific bills. But some of these larger issues of of, um, of utility reform and grid modernization and, and uh, electricity policy and what makes the best sense for for Maine, I think those are the types of of conversations that we can uh, we can help facilitate among companies that are, that are members of of Climate Work Maine because there's. And there's a lot of challenges that, that come with that, but there, there's a lot of opportunities too. There's we're we're going to need massive financial and and planning uh, to incorporate more renewable energy into the grid to uh, uh, to make sure that that people who are installing solar panels on, on their homes or on their businesses and that kind of decentralized energy system works with the uh, the more centralized system that, that's in place now and really focus on uh, ways that we as a business community can foster innovation so that at some point um, the prices are, are, are not going up exponentially every, every year for, for supply and, and delivery of electricity and that we work closely with, with our utilities from a from a business standpoint, from an economic standpoint, and from a human standpoint, that we we need to uh, be able to bring all of these these factors together to to make sure that uh, costs and prices are are not out of control, and we have some type of control uh, within within the state. A lot of conversation on on the offshore wind side on on how to how to do this and bring prices and, and costs down there, especially with the, the very unique offshore floating uh, apparatus and technologies that we, we have some expertise here on, on the state. Uh, so I think we can, uh, we can help facilitate some of these conversations, help create roadmaps and, and do something in a way that uh, where where costs and prices are, are considered in, in in a logical way that that works for for Maine homeowners and businesses alike. Well, and, and we are dealing with uh, with fairly extravagant increases in, uh, in in grid electricity right now. Mercifully, not anything like what uh, places are seeing in Europe, um, such as England. Um, but let me let me put you on the spot, and I'm going to give you just a second to think about it here. Uh, after when I do a station identification here, uh, I'd be interested in your perspective on the proposal floating around out there to uh, create a state of Maine uh, public utility 
with the buyout of Central Maine Power and Versant. But let me let me let you uh, uh, wince at that question just for a second and, and say uh, point out that you, that uh, you are listening to Power for the People here on WERU FM eighty nine point nine in Blue Hill ninety nine point nine in Bangor and the guests who I've just put on the spot with that question are Alan Karen and Jeff Marks of Climate Work mm-hmm. Maine. Do either one of you want to to uh, approach that question? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot at it. I'll say first that the organization has not taken a position on that. So for us to take positions, our board needs to take a position. That has not happened. Um, What we can say is, picking up on your earlier question, Steve, there are a lot of problems in the utility sector. One of them is the one you identified, which is we, and I've been railing about this for 20 years, we export energy. And then we we pay more than anyone else. That's virtually impossible. How that how that was allowed to happen, I don't know. But uh, look, there are a lot of problems and a lot of stress in that industry. Um, it has to. We're going to need more capacity on the electric side, as Jeff said. If we if we're going to convert our automobiles and our home heating and business heating to electric, we're going to need more electricity. So the question is, where does it come from? And how do we deliver it? And that means we're going to need more uh, renewable energy in the portfolio, real renewable energy in the portfolio that doesn't add to carbon. Um, This is all going to be a wrenchingly difficult conversation. Now, one response has been, well, let's take over the utility. And it may have merit. We're not saying it does or it doesn't. We don't have a position on it. It may have merit, and we all have to debate it. Um, my concern on the flip side of that is, can a public utility respond quickly enough to the changes we're going to confront, and can it do it at a lower cost? Because uh, the summation is, we have to do this at a lower cost. We cannot add on the cost levels we already have and increase them and expect people to want to do that. They won't. And so uh, we've got a lot to figure out. Uh, and and not to, I don't mean to be dodging the question. We just haven't taken a position on it. It may have merit. It may not. Uh, we're going to see over time. Right. Looks- Steve, uh, one, one good model. Um, a couple of years ago, a group was brought together. And I'll see if I can get this acronym straight. It's called MERDI, which is the main utility regulatory reform and decarbonization initiative. So that's, that's, that's fun to stay. And I, I can't believe I got all the letters right on that, but um, take a look at it. It was actually a very good facilitated stakeholder conversation on the future of electricity policy in Maine. And it brought together current and former PUC commissioners, environmental groups, both of our investor-owned utilities in Maine were part of that group, uh, energy developers. And they talked a lot about these issues in in the future of the grid and uh, the different um, aspects and policy options that, that are available there. And there was quite a bit of conversation on this uh, community-owned uh, utility initiative. The group didn't take a position on it, but it's just an example of 
the type of work that that our group climate work Maine might do in the future to help bring these different stakeholders together, mostly on the business side, because even even in the business community, there are competing uh, positions and, and strategies on how to address some of these big issues. Uh, but it's a good model on on which to to base. Uh, this particular conversation because it did bring all the right people together and started to put together the pieces on, you know, what the utility of the future might look like and how that utility of the future might integrate the different technological and uh, innovation, uh, you know, pieces that that will come together to, to make sure that we have a reliable affordable electricity grid that works for the most people as possible in the state. Well, so, so this Central Maine Power has uh, proposed a, uh, a yet another large increase in their rates, uh, specifically for the reason of getting to climate readiness. Uh, do, you, do you guys have a particular uh, uh, opinion on whether that is something that uh, is justified or shall we say is even adequate? to deal with the climate threats to the grid? Well, I would say that uh, from a business side and probably from a residential side also, uh, it will be hard to uh, accept uh, further increases in prices that are already very high. It's hard to imagine how that will happen. You know, see, to me, the larger problem is we have a 20th century grid and we now need to build a 21st century system. And it doesn't just, it's not as simple as take the 20th century system and make it bigger. It's make it different, Hmm. reinvent it, be imaginative, be creative, get our inventive spirit to work here and make it more efficient, make it more equitable. For Mainers, again, back to the early question, we've never had a good deal on the New England grid, as far as I'm concerned. We've always had a bad deal. So we this is an opportunity to reimagine what we're doing with electricity. Do we do we, and the old model is very clear? Big power production delivered over hundreds of miles and then distributed to individual buildings. Is there not a better way? to get electricity into your business than your home. And are we thinking about that? And the, the problem is we've got a very some very big companies, legacy companies invested in this model, I'd call the 20th century model, who have a lot of resources and a lot of talent to argue to make that system bigger. And what the rest of us have to do is figure out who's gonna speak for a new system and I'm not saying that the grid might not to be need to be bigger. It may. If we stop driving our gas cars and stop burning oil, uh, we're going to need more electricity. But how do we get there? And that's the conversation that Jeff just pointed to that started a while ago. It's an ongoing. This is going to be one of the most important conversations we will have as a state over the next 10 years. And no yeah, question about it. Yeah, and go ahead, Jeff. The strength of an organization like Climate Work Maine is that we're going to be working with the business community to, you know, enact policies and strategies that that 
kind of combine all these needs together, increasing energy efficiency in homes and businesses, expanding local renewable energy projects, and advancing this this 21st century electricity grid that that Alan mentioned, and really uh, making sure it's robust, that it's sustainable, that it's innovative, and that it's affordable for for um, you know all Mainers, not just some Mainers, but but all Mainers. I think that's going to be a role that that we can play in bringing these different kind of interests together. Uh, hopefully something that we can do, not just on this issue, but some of the, some of the other big you know, development and infrastructure issues that, that are being discussed in, in the state right now. Yeah, I think you guys are, are right on the money. I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, we can't just keep doing the same old, same old and, and tweaking it a little bit bigger. Um, I had uh, Grid Solar on, uh, on this program a number of years ago, and we talked about the Booth Bay Project where CMP proposed a multi-million dollar expansion of the grid in Booth Bay uh, and Grid Solar went to the PUNC and said, what if we did renewables and reduced demand? And, and CMP wound up not doing the expansion and it's, everything's fine. And, uh, you know, we need to we need to look at that sort of thing. Uh, is that That's not necessarily the model for the full 21st century, but Jeff, you may recall, uh, Maine Technology Institute funded me at a previous employer to look at the potential for rooftop solar to power the grid. Uh, and our conclusion was, it was working with Revision Energy. Um, they've been on the program a number of times. I think it's fair to mention them by name. Uh, the, the conclusion was that a little over half of, if, if, if so we use LIDAR to map um, rooftops. And so LIDAR can look at shading and angle and orientation, all that sort of thing. Um, and we, the conclusion was that a little over half of Maine's grid could be powered by rooftop solar alone if, quote unquote, all of the rooftop uh, suitable to solar had solar power on them. That was when a solar panel was putting out 220 watts. If you scale it up today to 400 watts, basically the entire grid could be fun, could be powered by rooftop solar. To me, yeah, and Steve, you get you're getting to a, a critical question. So if you're going to make a massive public investment in a system, the question has to be asked: Do you want to invest in a, in the grid? But you want to invest in helping people install those solar panels, or can you do both? Can you do both, right? And that, that gets to Jeff's point, which is he's made a couple of times, and that's because it's really important. We may not take a position on the public power thing because I, we may be more effective in a mediator role, in a facilitator role. Mm -hmm. So don't look for us to sort of take a position on every major debate. Because we have groups that do that. Well, we've got a lot of them. Uh, what we don't have is groups that have uh, trusting relationships in all directions and that can bring people to the table. I've been around long enough, and Steve, you have too, to know of uh, very significant ideas and projects that were proposed that got killed because they created a level of, of uh, bipolar opposition, for lack of a better word. Um, and, you know, everybody sort of rounded up the troops and set out the mailings and went to work and killed them. Mostly that was a good thing. But there have been opportunities there early on to design projects and uh, in a way that all sides could support. And that, those are the opportunities we're going to be looking for. Uh, 
you know, so, so because we have an urgency to act and we do have to build things. And, uh, you know, we're averse to it in Maine. I get it. I've been here all my life. We don't, we don't like to build stuff and we don't like big stuff. And, but, you know, uh, we're going to have to build some things now. And, and uh, so to the extent we can help bring people together early on before the, the trenches are built uh, and the weapons are handed out, uh, that will be the most useful thing we could do. That isn't to say we won't take positions on controversial big issues. We'll do that where it's warranted. It's just a matter of where we can have the greatest impact to accelerate change as fast as possible. But and I, I certainly uh, I appreciate uh, that role, and that makes an awful lot of sense to avoid, you know, the the trench warfare type of situation. So we're down to about four minutes here, and and Jeff, I'm just wondering, uh, in in the context that you guys have both talked about in terms of center, um, incentives rather than regulation, which I completely agree with, uh, in the in the last you know three or four minutes here. Is there something that uh, that you want to uh, mention specifically for business that that uh, small business owners might not have paid attention to yet that came out of the in the Inflation Reduction Act that just passed, which has so many incentives in it? Anything particular there you want to mention? Well, I, I, I think um, I think you had uh, Jack Shapiro from the NRCM on uh, last month, and he, he talked a lot about the. Um, you know, the trilogy of federal laws that have come up in the last year with the American Jobs Act, with the infrastructure one, and, and now with the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and we're very happy with the incentive focus of the Inflation Reduction Act. It's um, it, it's probably the, the largest climate investment that we've had in U.S. history. I spent um, I spent ten years in Washington D.C. and it was 2000 to 2010, and we were focused on uh, cap and trade at the at, at the at the moment. And I was working for a large company, and we had John Senator John McCain from Arizona and Senator Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, and they they came together to put together this this trillion dollar plus cap and trade program and every special interest in the country was focused on that, adding their particular Christmas tree ornaments to, to that bill. And it just caved in after, after a very short time uh, as something that was just not able to go forward at that time. We're happy to see the inflation reduction act come up because it offers very Target of incentives on weatherization, on heat pumps, on electric vehicles, on charging infrastructure, all of the things that we need to pull together in the state and around the country in order to get to the reductions that the Biden administration has put forward uh, on climate. Steve, in your, la in your last minute, let me just uh, urge people, if you are running a small business or part of a, a business, uh, and you'd like to help that business move along, we urge you to uh, join us. Uh, we want to create a movement of businesses here in Maine. Uh, you can get us at climateworkmaine.org online. Just sign up. You don't have to become a member. It doesn't cost any money to sign up. Just sign up, and we'll be sending you the kind of information that, that you need. Also, next May... We're going to have a summit on Maine's economy and climate change at the Augusta Civic Center. So you'll want to 
mark that date. And if you're in our list, we can tell you when it is. Um, that's going to be a great event. I expect 500 people or more. And it'll be chock full of practical information and inspiration. Fantastic information. And, uh, and in fact, I did sign up just this morning while I was browsing, uh, browsing your website. Uh, even though I'm not a small business, I still need to, to know as much as I can about this thing, both for this program uh, and for the courses that I teach. So thanks very much to both of you. you. Uh, you've been listening to Power for the People here at WERU uh, FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor. And uh, as I'm fond of saying, everywhere on WERU.org. And again, uh, WERU is indeed solar powered with the array that's right there on Route 1, if you happen to drive by sometime. Uh, the guests today have been Alan Karen, president and founder of ClivantWork.Maine, and Jeff Marks, the executive director. Uh, and uh, again, I do hope that uh, that your uh, your diplomatic way of bringing this uh, information forward, rather than uh, creating trenches, as we said a few minutes ago, uh, will serve us well. So a good opportunity. So thanks so much uh, to yeah. both of you. Uh, and uh, Power for the People airs the fourth Wednesday in the public affairs time slot. Uh, here on WERU at 4 p.m. So join us next time to learn more about energy topics, policies, technologies, and solutions for your life or for your business. Again, thanks. Uh, thanks to both of you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.